0: I know Pastor Chad's been preaching through the book of Matthew. Is that right? Hello. Have you been around? (laughs) I preached last December, and he assigned me Matthew chapter 9. And so, he assigned me this time Matthew chapter 25. And uh, so, I'm trying to calibrate about how long it's going to take. So, about, I think, pretty much by 2021, you guys can wrap this thing up and... (laughs) move on to a different text, but, uh, but I, I, I'm eternally grateful for him to sign this wonderful parable that I have privilege to preach today known as the parable of the talents. And so, um, you know, one of the great ways that Jesus communicated was telling these stories, these narratives that really was riveting his teachings and, and, and certainly is communicating to us in a clear fashion. The parable of the talents is really about this. God gives us stuff And with this, what he gives and entrusts to us, he has some expectations. Whatever it is that God has given to us, and he's given us plenty, he expects something from us. We actually call that stewardship. Well, this text found here is in the Olivet Discourse. We know that text in chapters 24 and 25. It's revealed, concludes in chapter 25, takes place on the Mount of Olives. The disciples are indeed inquiring of him about when he's going to establish his kingdom and about the end of the age. When will the consummation of earthly things be? What's going to happen? It's a topic I think we're all curious to know. And so chapter 24, we have the signs of the end of the age, the great tribulation, the coming of the Lord Jesus. And remember, he declares to them, no one knows the hour, the promised return. And so we've got these two chapters, which really are the high watermark of biblical eschatology. Now in chapter 25, He gives two parables to say, you better be ready for my return. The first one is the parable of the ten virgins, and the one I'm going to be uh, unpacking today is the parable of the talents, how we can rightfully use what God has entrusted to us. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we're grateful for the privilege of preaching your word. Thank you that we stand on the promise when we preach it. It doesn't return void, but it'll accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. And so I pray that you prepare our hearts, Pray you'd fill me with your spirit. I pray that you'd use me during this time together. Thank you for preserving your word for us, and we can invest our lives in the truths that we'll even learn today. Help us to be found faithful, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Three things together I want you to see with me from this wonderful text of Scripture. The first is this. It's relative to the possessions that we receive, the possessions we receive. So Jesus is using this method of communicating a parable, we know it simply, as an earthly story that has heavenly meaning. And this story really is about uh, wasted opportunities. It's about squandering and neglecting the things, whatever they may be, that God has entrusted to us. I wonder, have you been guilty of that? Have you lost sight of all the blessings that God has given to you? I'm talking about the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the assets, whatever it may be, how little or how much, do you realize every good thing comes from God? Now, notice with me in the parable, every servant got something. Each received a talent. Some got more than others. But regardless, there was no excuse because one had less than the others. And we can all agree today with this presupposition, we've all been blessed. We've been given much by God. He desires to use what we have, and he desires to make us people of productivity, of using, not abusing these blessings, and doing something. Can I tell you, the Bible has a lot to say about laziness, about slothfulness, about a poor work ethic, About those who refuse to engage in work and labor for the good of mankind. So let's talk first about the distribution of these possessions. It seems the Master, the Lord here, representing Jesus, and he was leaving. He's going to be traveling. He's going to go far away. And so it would be with Jesus. And he gives out these talents. Now, even though the video talked about giving them bags of gold, I would suggest to you that's not what it is. It really is more inclusive than money. It's the stuff of life. It's what God gives to us. Yes, it's our time. It's our influence, our talents, our friendships, our health. It's as if God wraps all of this stuff of life, and he gives to us and says, here it is. What will you do with it? He packages it up and says, this is your life. What will you do? Can I say? Unfortunately, most do little with what God has given to them. And truth of the matter is, here's our bend. It is to complain that someone got more than we did. Some would take whatever they've been given and, 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 and just of unconcern, just goof off. Because believe me, it's always easier to do nothing than it is to do something. But here's the problem with many of you today. You're going to spend it all on things that have no value. What's obvious here, every man didn't get the same. Can we agree that God's not a socialist? (laughs) Everything is not equally divided. One guy gets five, one guy gets two, and one guy gets one. But here's the principle that you know in the Word of God, to whom much is given, much will be required. How little or how much is irregardless because God has expectations. So we see the distribution. Now let's talk quickly about the determination of how these talents are given. So God doesn't divide the stuff of life equally. But what's the criteria he uses in dividing these things? Actually, I would suggest two things here that we see in the text. One is the sovereignty of God. After all, he is the Lord. He is the master. He is the God of his position and authority that has every right to do as he pleases. Let me tell you, there's plenty of people who are out there who want his position. <laughs> they want to be God. They want to be God of their own life. But you know, I'm always a little wearied by people who say this, and if you've been guilty of saying it, let me suggest you not say it anymore. And it's 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 this. When I get to heaven, I'm gonna ask God why he did this. I'm going to ask God about this as if he's going to have an audience with you so you can give to him all your complaints of life. I'm telling you, it's not going to be that way. Because he's God and you're not. And by his grace and mercy and sending of the Lord Jesus, you're going to have a privilege to be there, if you will, but believe. He's sovereign. You know what that means? It means God does as he pleases and he's pleased with what he does. He's the Lord. He is our God. Sometimes it's relative just to his sovereignty, but also the text says it's relative also to our skillfulness. So first these talents were given to us, God sovereignly gave them, but the text says these talents were distributed according to the individual's ability. So it seems God assigns these talents accordingly to the skillfulness of our hands and his sovereignty included. So if we're competent, if we prove ourselves worthy, we get rewarded by more. Look what it says in verse 29. To everyone who has more, more will be given to him, and he will have in abundance. That's the way it's operated in my life, can I tell you? I felt called to ministry in my early 30s. Went to be the pastor of my first church when I was 33 years old. Rural southern Oklahoma, Lightning Ridge Baptist Church. We had no phone We were on a dirt road. We were 20 miles from civilization. I'm just telling you the gospel truth. We were out in the middle of nowhere. First Sunday I preached, you know how many we had? 33. You know how I remember that? I was 33 years old and we had 33 in attendance. I thought, man, I hope we grow faster than my uh, my age or we're going to, it's not going to go well. I labored with what God had given me. I'm telling you, I was working full time. I was still in the men's business. And I was uh, preaching on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and try to lead the church. And God blessed our efforts. By the time I left, in two years, we were running over seventy. I baptized twenty-four, and uh, and God honored our little. I had the privilege to move to First Baptist Church of Piedmont, Oklahoma. We run about three hundred in that church, and we invested our life there for the next three and a half, four years. And uh, that church grew about thirty percent. and We took with what God gave us more and. And we were able to do a little more. It was uh, 30 years ago, two weeks ago, that Mary and I came to Kansas City, Johnson County, and we interviewed at the Browning's house, Roy and Carleen, who are right over here to my right, about five rows back. And we got through with a wonderful interview of a bunch of good people that we were so uh, uh, so pleased to be in their midst. And, 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 but we just didn't feel like God was in it, and we told them no. So we turn and go back to Oklahoma, we see the city, and God is changing our hearts before we could get back home. But we had already goofed the opportunity up, you know, we had, we had told them we couldn't do it, and we had to live with that. So we continued to labor a couple of months, they pursued a couple of other fellows, and, and there were some dead ends there, and don't know exactly how all that unfolded, but I know this, they called me back in uh, late November and said, would you reconsider coming to be our pastor? I said, I'd have considered it the next day if you'd have called me. We've been praying that maybe God had that for us. And we came and we preached in January. It would be, it'd be 30 years this January. We had a unanimous vote, 77 to 0. I remember it well. It was a great day. And we moved up here and began to invest our life. We had about 130 the first Sunday that I preached there. It was a special day. We began to labor as we, we could Moved from place to place, and we were, you know, really as one foot forward and two fo- foot back for a few years, but finally we got some traction, and pretty soon that little became more and more and more, and we saw God do some incredible things here. You know, we went from 200 to 400 to 600 to 800 to 1,000. Some of you had the, was in, on that ride with me, and then 1,200, and then 1,500, and then 2,000, and then 2,500, and then 3,000. And then these campuses. I retired after 25 years, as Bill made mention. That Sunday we had 4,100 worshiping together. You say, how in the world did that happen? Boy, if you can figure it out, you tell me. But here's what I do know. God would take a two-talent man, a B student, chronically ill, who believed if you get a little and you use it, you'll get a little more. And he showed himself faithful. Now, I'm just telling you in your life, it may not be growing a church, but I know this. This principle is woven throughout the Word of God. He gives us a talent. He gives us something. And if we invest it, he gives us a little more. Man, I've never seen it displayed any stronger Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Jason Allen, who's sitting over here on the third row, man, he came with a broken down seminary of a little of nothing. There's no greater seminary in all the world than Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. (laughs) When I conclude, Jason's going to say, that's the best sermon I ever heard you preach. But he did. He took what little God gave him, and God gave him a little more and a little more and a little more because that's what he does in our life. And that's what Jesus is, is teaching us here. We're without excuse. But you know what we like to do? We like to look around and see what everybody else has, and they got more in us, and we do this old uh, comparison thing. Well, they got more in me. You say, well, if I had as much as Jason Allen, of course I could do something. I, you know what I say? No, you wouldn't. You're not doing anything with what you got now. Why do you think you've got a little more you're going to do that? You see, you've got to be willing to invest. Maybe it's a small talent. Maybe it's a one-talent man. Maybe you're a two-talent man. Maybe you're a five-talent man. I don't know, but I'm telling you, the principle's all the same. Let's do something. Let's give of ourselves. We've been blessed of God, and he asks us, will we be found faithful? Yes, he's sovereign. Yes, he blesses us according. To our ability and he asks us will we personally be found faithful so let me move quickly now let me talk secondly not only the possessions we receive the plan we execute so we see the master distributing his talent to three unnamed men in the parable notice with me two things about these various responsibilities because we see first the master's return now we're not told how long in this parable how long the master of the lord has gone but suffice it to say, it was a long time. Honestly, the application of the parable for us today, we're somewhere between verse 18 and verse 19. We've been given talents. Someday Jesus will return. We're going to be held accountable for how God, uh, uh, whatever he gave to us, whatever he, entrust, whatever he trusted into us. And you say, when is that going to happen? Well, let me suggest to you, the Bible teaches about one day, every believer is going to stand and give an account to God at the bema, the judgment seat of Christ. And so indeed, we as believers, we look forward to the return of Christ, which is being taught here, but also we're going to be given account before God. And so I think when you and I think about the return of Christ, oftentimes we're flooded with ambivalence. We feel two ways about it. Yes, it's going to be nice to be in glory with God, but we're going to be held accountable for the things that we did or didn't do since we've been saved. And that's what I'm telling you. It's what he's teaching us here. That we are people who've been given much. And when that day comes, when our soul is laid bare, Jesus will test our works by a refiner's fire. You know what we're afraid of? We spend way too much time on things that are no more than wood, hay, and stubble. And it's going to be gone in a minute. And too few of things have been invested with precious metals of gold and silver and precious stones that will endure. Now, let me, let me clarify this. Listen, Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not that you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and there's going to be a condemnation for your sin. That's not what this judgment's about. It's about what you're to be doing since you believed. In the Olivet Discourse here, Jesus clearly re- re- reveals there's going to be a time... Uh, when it's least expected actually five times we see in two chapters that he says look here's the reality I don't even know the hour I don't even know the day it's in the father's hands but we live in a day and time certainly if it was true in anticipation of the first century church that Jesus was returning how much more 2,000 years uh, could we uh, uh, certainly with a consensus believe that Jesus is returning I know many of you have heard of the doomsday clock, which is a symbolic timepiece that is the likelihood of when global catastrophe will occur. It was established in 1947 by the Bureau of Atomic Scientists who were hoping to educate the world about global threats. Initially, the clock was set seven minutes before midnight, 23 times The hand has been set back. But in 2018, it was moved to within two minutes of midnight. In 2019, it remains the same. You know why? Of course you know why. You watch the evening news. There's continual nuclear threats, crazed dictators throughout the world, radical Islam, global tension, so many factors to unpack. But here's what I'm saying. Even the world at large, scientists, Ecologists, other speculators are saying, surely this thing is coming to a close. The end is near. And Jesus declares, here the master will return. Be ready for his return. Under B, I see the master's requirement. The master calls the three servants. They're given account of their talents. I mentioned it was the judgment seat of Christ where we give an account for what we've done since we believed. Now, there's always a little confusion about this. So I want to be, as a point of clarity, talk quickly about Another judgment in Revelation 20 called the Great White Throne Judgment, which is reserved for those who die in unbelief. That judgment will be at the conclusion of the millennial reign of Christ, where all unregenerate humanity who rejected Jesus Christ will at that judgment bar learn of their final fate and eventual damnation. It says the book of life was open. Their names were not found written in there. But there was another books, it says, that were open that revealed the deeds of their life. The documentation of all the the evilness and the punishment will be according to their own lawlessness and depravity of their lives, their perversity. Whatever it is, it seems God is recording these things because he's a God who judges. Praise God, I won't be at that great white throne judgment. You know why? I settled out of court. I did. As a young man down in southern Oklahoma, I got on my knees and I asked the Lord Jesus to forgive me of my sins. And I gave my heart to Him. And all of a sudden, the judgment that was mine fell on Christ. And it set me free from that judgment of eternal damnation I will be at the bema seat and you will as well if you're a believer and that's where we'll be tested on what we've done with the stuff of life Romans 14 10 for we all stand at the judgment seat of Christ you know what the factors will be in that day let me suggest two things one is your faithfulness will you be found faithful Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. That's the expectation of us who come to faith in Christ that we'll be found faithful. But that's not the only thing that'll be we'll be accountable for in the day. It'll be our fruitfulness as well, not just our faithfulness, but what did we do that made a difference for the cause of Christ? Now understand in this parable, Jesus is not condemning failure. He's outspoken, though, about your unwillingness to do anything with what he's entrusted to you. Can I tell you today, the greater shame is not failure. It's passivity. It's indifference. It's laziness. It's procrastination. It's slothfulness. It's unwilling to risk anything for God. I mean, are you doing anything with what God has so graciously opened the windows of heaven and poured out on your life? When he returns for you, will you be found faithful? Will your life bear fruit? And here the essence of what Jesus is saying, I'm looking for some faithful people. Can I count on you? I'm looking for men and women who will labor and not grow weary in well doing, for in due season they will reap if they do not faint. I gotta quit. Got six minutes. Stay with me. The possessions we receive, the plan we execute, but now let's talk in closing the principle by which we are judged. The principle by which we are judged. Jesus clearly tells us these rewards and the rebuke as well came to these three servants and you'll see them coming up on the screen. One, two were commended, two were compensated, and one was condemned two were commended. What a glorious response to hear Jesus say, well done. You've been a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you faithful over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You you realize the five-talent man and the two-talent man, the very same words were used by the master to, to each one. There was no shame in the two-talent man just getting two talents, or the five-talent man to, get, to receive a greater praise because he had, 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 done, uh, uh, had given uh, and received five talents. It's, it's just not that way because they were faithful in what they had. But what a praise to hear. Let me just parenthetically mention something here. I know a lot of people who've lived their life and never really received much praise, especially from their earthly father. Regardless of what they did, no matter how hard they tried, their efforts went unnoticed and unappreciated. They never heard the sweet words of, Son, I'm proud of you. Honey, I'm so proud of you. You've been a blessing to me. I'm honored to be your dad. What a joy it's been to be your mother. Here, here let me tell you, here's reality. We come to believe about ourselves what the most important person in our life is saying about us. You with me? We come to believe about ourselves, what the most important person in our life is saying about us. Listen, as parents, God entrusts us with kids. We're important to them, although it doesn't seem that way sometimes. We are. And we give them good words. We bless them with good words. We encourage them. Let's tell them how proud we are of them. I'm telling you, it'll make a difference, a lasting difference in our life. I'm telling you, I am where I am today, not only by the grace of God, but because I had a mother that believed in me. She thought I was the smartest guy in the class. She thought I was the best athlete, and there was no shame with her. All she could do was tell me how grand I was, and I believed a little bit of it. It helped me greatly. And I'm telling you, moms, you can make a difference. I'm telling you, dads, you can make a difference. And here, even if that never happened in your life, that will even wax dim one day when Jesus steps into your life and says, well done, you've been a good man. You've been a good lady. Thank you for serving me. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So parents, let's look for an opportunity to be a blessing. Let's look for an opportunity to be an encouragement. Well, these two were commended by God, and two were then compensated. Here's what I'm talking about. These two-talent and five-talent men said, You've been faithful to a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. So I'm going to take the liberty to say this. I can't prove it from the Bible, but I believe this may be going on here. I think with what we are faithful with here on earth, God's going to give to us accordingly one day in glory. I believe heaven's going to be a glorious thing. It's all going to be grand and all of that. But I tell you, we're going to have some responsibility there. And I believe that's what he's talking about here. Listen, you, do, you, you, you be faithful in what you get. And one day I'm going to put you in charge of more. If I'm wrong, you tell me I was wrong when we get there. But I do believe that's the principle. We're spending a lot of time together in glory. Doesn't it make sense that who were, those who were faithful here he will use in whatever way it may look like I don't know but he entrusts them with greater responsibility I believe it's true here on earth but I believe it's true in heaven as well so the essence of this parable is Jesus calls us to accept responsibility don't place blame for our, li- our lives on someone else we've all been given talents some things to be used of God and if we don't use, lose, use them we will lose them let's put our talents to work finally I quit with this one was condemned. Listen, it was a hard judgment by the master. Can you imagine Jesus calling someone a wicked and lazy person? Honestly, it, it, it's a little bit of a dicey text to, to evaluate. But I'm going to make an effort. Some would argue, well, this guy that uh, was cast in outer darkness, he lost his reward since he's already part of the, the kingdom of God. He didn't lose his salvation, obviously, but he did lose his rewards. The problem is this. This outer darkness thing where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, when Jesus used it, he, he wasn't talking about losing some rewards, but he was talking about being cast into outer darkness in hell. Honestly, Here, let me say this quickly. To build a theology on a parable is never correct. Because a parable was about communicating one significant truth. And when you start treating them as allegory or trying to find an interpretation of everything that's being taught in the parable, I'm telling you, you'll you'll get way off, off off-center. And I do believe the essence of this parable is about personal responsibility that I've preached on today. But I'm going to suggest very well what I I believe is going on here. It very well could be going on. Because you know as well as me, oftentimes in the gospel, we find Jesus talking about religious pretentiousness. I'm telling you, he was always coming against the religious community as hypocrites. And maybe this one talent man never had experienced saving faith. Maybe he's a picture of one who had a superficial faith. Maybe he's like the one who... who who comes to church, all right, they learn the language, they sing the songs, they go through the motions, they honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. Picture of one who never serves, who never gives, who never labors, who never sacrifices for anything, and their own life tells on them. It may be the evidence of this counterfeit faith is seen as he begins to make an attack. On the master's character and defame him, accusing him of being unjust, dishonest. And his erroneous idea of who the master was perhaps proved he really didn't know the master. I'm asking you today: do you really know the master? Does your commitments to to your investments, do your does your passion prove that you belong to him? Are you doing anything with what you've been given? You can be faithful and God will take your faithfulness and he'll make it fruitful. Sow some gospel seeds. Give until it's hilarious. Be a blessing and get blessed. Quit doing nothing and do something. You can do it. He's gifted you. He's called you to be found faithful. Would you bow your heads with me today? We always do. We give a public invitation, invite people to make decisions for Christ, and today's no different. Maybe you resolved in your own heart to do something. Praise God. I believe that's the lesson being taught. To take a talent, don't bury it, invest it. Give, and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Give it away. Give your life away. Give your love away. Give of your finances. Give of your time. Be a giver. You may be here today, and the truth of the matter is, you never have been a giver because there is a hardness in your heart. And the best you could do would be to bury whatever it is that God's entrusted to you. Maybe there's something wrong spiritually. I don't know. I can't see. But I know this. I would be mighty concerned if there was no fruitfulness, no faithfulness, no evidence in any person's life who said they believed that God had never made a difference, that never walked in the grace of God, never loved unconditionally, Never gave unselfishly. Just kept on living like the world. If I'm speaking to you today, won't you get right? Why don't you come? Let us pray for you. If you're here and you've never been born again, why don't you come and go God's way today? Staff would love to pray with you, talk with you about what that means, to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand to our feet. We won't be here long. If God's spoken to your heart about a decision you need to make public, maybe you're here and like to join the church. People join in the first service. I believe someone's here that needs to join this church today. Let me be the one to introduce you to the congregation. You come, be a part of this fellowship. I'm going to pray, then we're going to stand. Father, we love you. Thank you for this wonderful text of Scripture. I pray that we would take it to heart. Help me to flesh it out more than just preach it. Help me to love to give. I pray that we could make a difference by sowing some gospel seeds even this week. I pray for this church. I pray it continue to prosper. Thank you for its wonderful leader that you've called here, Pastor Chad. I pray that these would be great days. Unparalleled, the kingdom would expand because of the ministry of Lenexa Baptist Church. And now this is your invitation. We can give the outward call, but only you could change a heart. And I pray that some would hear. Some would act upon it. Some would believe. I pray in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Staff will be here at the front. While we sing, God calls you, come.